there's a lot of politics in food, in our food supply, in the food system. I try to do the right thing. You educate yourself. You do the best that you can. It's important to not make yourself crazy because you can. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about ethical eating, universal design, and parenting toddlers while dealing with chronic pain. Our host, Monica, is joined by health coach and nutritionist, Allison Saman. I used to live in Orange County, and I do not remember there being any actual public transportation. And up here in the Bay Area, they say they do, but it is not for disabled people. It's such a roll of the dice. I use a wheelchair, and our BART system, our Bay Area Rapid Transit mm-hmm. Train System, mm-hmm. it's just a horror showdown. But even without that... Uh, when you get to San Francisco, there's multiple stops that will just okay. no elevator. So you don't know which stop you can get off at. This past summer, we were in New York. I'm from New Jersey. I worked in New York for a long time. And when I was going through my chronic illness and my chronic pain, I was in New York. New York is not a friendly place for people who can't walk up and down stairs. I mean, I couldn't walk up and down stairs. And it was excruciating pain for me. And so this summer we were there and I had my son with me in a stroller and he's obsessed with trains. And so we're like, okay, cool. Let's take him. We were going to Central Park, but we didn't need to take the train, but we took the train so he could go experience the subway. He was so, so excited. And so we get there and we get off. And so there was a, there was a elevator to get down. From the stop. So exactly what you were talking about. And then when we arrived, we're like, oh, shit. Like, how are we going to get him out of here? And I don't want to let him loose because he's a maniac and he's just going to run. And a subway platform is not the place for a crazy toddler to be running around. And so we went to the other end. There's no elevator there. And so we're trying to lift it. It's a big thing. And trying to up the two flights of stairs. And thankfully, a, a guy came over and he's like, can I help you? And I'm like, yes, you can. And so he's like, wait, because he's the power, you know, like parallel to the ground. I thought he was going to be terrified, but he thought it was a blast. He's like, trains, the trains are going, his hair is blowing, and people are carrying him up the stairs. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, like, how is somebody going to get in or out? Just from the physicality of can you even leave this place? And then the grossness of whatever's on the grounds on my hands. I remember using the strollers as a walker. Before I was ready to admit I was as sick as I was and just gripping that stroller like it was a walking aid. The whole pregnancy thing is already so uncomfortable. You have anything from five to 10 pounds on your belly, hurting your lower back. And then the baby's here and it gets more than 10 pounds. The hardest part for me when I had chronic pain was I had a major surgery when my son was, I think he was two. And I had to be in bed six weeks, eight weeks. And I was a single mom. How did you handle the lack of movement when they're at that maximum mobility, minimum common sense age? He's turning four next month. And I'm like, I already have a three-nager and I fully expected to him give me a run for my money when he's a teenager and he's a three-nager. And I'm like, huh? So I struggled with chronic pain and oh my God. I mean, so it was my back, my butt sitting. I couldn't sit. I couldn't do stairs or walk for too long, meaning like to the end of the block because my knees would swell. So, but just walking around in a circle was good. Movement was good, but not too much or too fast. 
and not up and down stairs. I fortunately that for the most part has ended for me. It was over 10 years that I struggled. So by the time I got pregnant, and I think that's also why I became a mom late was because the beginning of my thirties, I was still recovering. And then my middle thirties, I was like, well, what the hell just happened to me? And I went back to school. And so I became a guinea pig. I was like ground zero for everything. I experimented like, oh, that, oh, 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 I didn't know. I just, you don't know what you don't know. And especially when you're in it, you can't see any other way except for this sucks. I'm in pain. All of this. I had migraines. I had fatigue. I had hormonal imbalance. I had weight gain. I had skin issues. But my main issue that made me miserable and like miserable to be around was my back, my butt and my feet. So I always felt like I couldn't feel my feet on the ground. And so I had my work get me a footstool, but I'm still, I know that they're there and I see it and I can sort of know that it's on the ground, but like, I don't feel it. They were numb and I went for every test and all of that. And just so many therapies and they would work a little bit and some wouldn't work at all. This it was a struggle for me for so many years and I worked through it. And so then I got to 40 and I went, we forgot to have a baby. <laughs> I then worked on myself in a different way, fertility focused. Before that, that was just like, I don't want to be an old lady. I'm 25. Why do I feel 85? I'm in New York City and I'm watching people walk up and down. I was always that person who would walk past you on the escalator. And I couldn't. Then there wasn't always an escalator, as you know. And so I'm just like... This is awful. Worked in a television studio that was all up and down stairs too. So sometimes people would carry me. By that time, I wasn't dealing with any chronic pain issues anymore. Pregnancy is also very stressful on the body. It's traumatic. And I wondered, is this going to trigger anything? A lot of autoimmune conditions become triggered. You have that underlying condition. It can be triggered with pregnancy. But I actually had an ideal pregnancy. And I didn't know that it was going to go that way because I was an older first time mom and I got pregnant within three months of trying. And I was like, amazing. And it all was really good. It wasn't until just the end. I guess it's normal. But for me, I was like, what the hell? Because when you get to that point and you start to swell, you know, it does get very uncomfortable as it goes on. You run hot when you're pregnant. They can only sleep in one direction. And then I have two cats. And then I sleep with somebody who's, I, I call him thermonuclear war boy because he just runs so hot so i'm very thankful that that all went really well pregnancy went really well birth that didn't go exactly as planned it was a very long long delivery but what i noticed being an older mom and being at mommy and me with all of the moms are in their 20s or their 30 and i'm not i don't know if it's what everybody experiences the tired and the long achy but sometimes when i get up i'm like is it because i'm old or is it because I'm constantly being run ragged by a little one? Because I have done a lot of work on myself to get to this place. I don't take it for granted because I know how bad it was. And it was just, it was kind of like a different life. If it makes you feel better, they did do a study where they took a group of two-year-olds through four-year-olds, them against Olympic athletes. And the Olympic athletes could not keep up. I don't know if that helps. Wow, that does help. I did deeply unfair how much energy they get to have with so little sleep. And we're supposed to keep up. This was 20 years ago, but the amount of pressure on how to do everything so perfectly from the perfect pregnancy, eat the perfect things when I couldn't keep anything down anyway. 
Then to be able to still kill it at work, I had a really high pressure job and I was the CEO of my company and there wasn't really anyone to fall back on. I was still supposed to be this perfect partner. I was still supposed to be getting ready for this perfect baby that was going to arrive. And it was a lot of everything being just right and perfect. And I didn't have the energy to lift my head off of a pillow. There is serious cognitive dissonance in this country about motherhood and like expectations. Where do you think the next generation of people are coming from? And if you are not going to support mothers into getting the best care that they can, and sometimes that just means self-care, but honestly, valuing our women in the workplace and motherhood, because sometimes there's certain things I cannot do. I cannot walk any faster. I cannot lift that. You need to support them. Like with anybody, it's just a challenge. You need to help in the areas where they're challenged. I don't know why that is frowned upon like, oh, she's going to have a baby. Now she's going to want to take off time for maternity to leave. It's like, shouldn't that be a priority that they get to and get paid so they don't have to stress about? Because I wasn't paid for my maternity. Yeah. And so that was stressful because I was like, I'm saving money. I have a baby. I saved $30,000. That goes quick when you're not working. Especially if you're sick. I personally don't mind the disabled label at all. I feel like it's a very appropriate label, especially for someone like me. And I honestly felt worse pregnant than I do right now. The amount of brain fog, the amount of vomiting. I also had a very hard pregnancy because of my disability. Just what I'm kind of interested in is how our health changes when we decide to have children. And I've talked to so many people who have my disorder. I'll call it lucky that I didn't know what I had before I had children. So motherhood was something that happened much earlier than I had planned. Mm -hmm. I didn't have those questions, but listening to people really suffer over that question of whether to do this now or later, it makes me so sad to hear it. And also the thing I wanted to cover was the lack of autonomy of the body in pregnancy and disability. It's amazing how public your body becomes when people decide that it's now up for discussion and debate. So when you're pregnant, everyone wants to touch you or tell you what you shouldn't eat or do. And I am amazed at how that's carried over when I'm in a wheelchair. One needs to tell me what I should be doing. Yoga, which I find hilarious when I'm in a wheelchair. Let me know how coconut oil is going to cure my genetic disorder. I am always But it's interesting to me how that carries over and what people feel like they can say about your personal life choices. Did you experience that with your pregnancy? I absolutely did because I was an older mom. So it was a surprise to a lot of people. And I didn't talk about it because I didn't know how it was going to go. It went really well. I didn't know that it was going to go well. I didn't know that I was going to get pregnant so quickly. I kept all that private So it was a huge surprise. Then I had to throw in, I'm planning on doing a natural birth. I want to do a home birth with midwives. And they were like, what? I had friends, like childhood friends are like, you can't do that. You're in your 40s. And I was like, is that a problem? Is that a thing? And I asked my midwife, they're like, the hard part is getting pregnant. You did that. Birth has nothing to do with how old you are. And so, you know, like that was my choice. And like, how dare that? It's not like I'm going to be by myself in my living room and hired people with 20 plus years of experience who I felt really comfortable with, who understood what I wanted to put in or on or around my body. I felt like this was my decision. It was my body, my choice. 
And I just was so shocked how many people were saying things. Also, I didn't want to do the glucose test. Okay. I didn't want to drink that juice because there's a lot of ingredients in it. I was like, I'm already an older mom. I don't want to put anything in my body that could compromise anything. There are studies where you can use surf sweet jelly beans because they're super duper high in sugar, but they're organics. And mommy likes jelly beans because that was my addiction of choice. It was hurting my body even more, but I thought it made me happy, made my mouth happy, my brain happy for a little while. And so I was like, I'm going to love this. The doctor was like, okay, I don't see any reason. This is fine. But one of the nurses was furious that I was doing something different. So the blood draw station was across the hall and I had to sit there and eat the jelly beans. They counted out how many jelly beans would be the equivalent of the amount of glucose in that drink. So I sat there with my big old belly and I just luxuriated in eating those jelly beans. And then the lady who was going to draw my blood She's like, so you had the drink? And I was like, well, no, I'm doing these jelly beans. She thought I was just sitting there waiting, just eating jelly beans for fun. And so I got scolded. I got in trouble. And I'm like, why? Why? It kind of goes back to what you were saying. And where is the woman in this? It's just a medical procedure to them. And the outcome, you want to see how my body responds to sugar. So here I am eating a shit ton of sugar. It just happens to be organic. Why does that bother you? I'm doing exactly what you said. The point is, I feel like when it's your body and your pregnancy, obviously, as long as you're doing things that are in service of everybody, why is it anybody else's business? I want to have a healthy baby. Are we all in the same in agreement about that? Okay, great. Is there anything that would compromise that by having a home birth with midwives and not in a hospital? No. Okay, the only thing that was high risk was my age, but everything else wasn't. If things were different, if something happened, we had a plan. We had a backup plan. And so I feel like give women a little bit of credit if they need time, if they want to do something a little bit differently, if they need to do something a little bit differently because they need extra support. Like, why can't you give them credit for being, I don't know, intelligent, sentient being? I was thinking of the body as public, but you bring up such a, a wonderful aspect of that, which is the infantilization of pregnant people. And I swear you, it goes the same with disability. No one will speak to me in a wheelchair. They talk to my husband or they raise their voice by two octaves and kneel down. It's one of the funniest, strangest things to watch. It's like, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. But when you're in a medical situation, I don't know if you feel like this. I've, I've been sick since I was born. It's a DNA genetic issue. So I've been in and out of doctor's offices my whole life, but I get this weird panic because all of a sudden I'm not a person to them. I'm suddenly a child. It's this very weird situation to go from being someone can run a business, can run a household, can do all the things. And all of a sudden you're in this room and everyone's telling you what's right for you. And they don't even know your name. They have to look at a chart to tell you what your name is, but they're going to do right. very intense procedures on you. And you're just supposed to trust that and not ask questions. And it's such a strange thing. And the men in my life go through stuff. My father was sick too. And how differently he was treated in medical situations where oh. he was asked. I never got asked my opinion about procedures. It was just done. And everything was taken very seriously for him. It was like house walked in and said, like, we will figure this out. And I walk in and it's like, so you seem stressed. Maybe we should work on your stress levels. Oh, wow. 
Gosh, that is not the problem. I have a bone hanging out of my socket. It is not stress. <laughs> wow. Or that's stressful. Yeah, that's stressful. The bone, that, the bone hanging out, stressful, I promise. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about shopping for food because you have yeah. very strict eating guidelines and you and I are both very on the same page on trying to shop as sustainably as possible. It is mm-hmm. making me insane trying to research, is there slave labor involved? Is this good for the environment and their workers correctly? Can I access this? Does anyone in my house like to eat it? And as a sick person, it really is exhausting, but how do you handle trying to find the right ingredients? It used to be you could go to Whole Foods and hopefully roll the dice and most of it would be okay. And now that's very not true anymore. What do you do? How do you handle the shopping and the trying to do the right thing? Well, that's it. I try to do the right thing. You do the best that you can. You educate yourself. I do get political about it because there's a lot of politics in food, in our food supply, in the food system. It's important to not make yourself crazy because you can. You can go that way Mm. and then become orthorexic about it. I feel like when you're orthorexic, it is, you are very strict. Like it absolutely has to be. I cannot have, I cannot stray if that has too many carbs. I can't have that. Being super strict to the point where it is stress-inducing and it is good for you to live cohesively in the world. You become obsessive about your food and what you're eating, how you're eating it, where it comes from. And so I want to say that I have standards and it's just part of my lifestyle that I learned along the way. And now it's just a no-brainer. And that's what I teach people to do is like how to find the foods that are going to serve you and also not hurt the environment. Let's also be thankful for the people who are picking the food because we're not, right? We're not picking it. And like, what do, what goes into this beautiful produce that we have? How did it get here? There's a, actually a long, long process. And hopefully that's a shorter process because we, we want to buy locally as much as possible. And I get a farm box twice a month. I've met the farmers. And I encourage people, if you can do that, meet your farmers, see where your food is grown, see how it's grown. Support them because they're doing all of that work. When you're talking about fair trade, I don't want to have a chocolate bar that children not being paid. They're doing child labor instead of being in school. Yeah. They are farming for cacao that Hershey's is going to come in. They say that they're changing their ways. And okay, I try to do the right thing. You do the best that you can. You educate yourself. I do get political about it because there's a lot of politics in food, in our food supply, in the food system. It's important to not make yourself crazy because you can. Nestle like, actually so... said that they're not going to and that they can't change they can't it. afford to? They can't afford to. But there's a great company, if anyone's looking, it's called Mike and they are completely fair trade, no slave labor, and their chocolate is off the chart for ingredients. Good Sam is another brand that I love. So fair trade, regenerative farming. Why not support the earth in providing more mm. bounty and goodness when we talk about palm oil for instance mm-hmm. i mean that's what's happening there is palm done right which is regenerative farming and so i always tell people it's not that palm oil is unhealthy for you but it's how we get it so unnecessary definitely shouldn't be in your peanut butter peanut butter should just be peanut butter and there's companies like palm done right there's no reason to destroy habitat for like communities that live among that 
habitat. The whole ecosystem gets destroyed just for palm oil. They just come in and bulldoze everything. And they're not concerned with what happens to the ground. This is how you go from rich soil to dirt. And that actually accelerates climate change. When you don't have arable land, that actually contributes to heat getting trapped in the air and accelerating climate change. I hear what you're saying. The first thing we did when we moved in was we turned our lawn into a farm. We just turned the soil over and we just turned it into a complete farm. I have six different types of fruit trees in the front. I have a living fence of apple trees and blueberry bushes. During COVID, we got this whole group of feral children in our neighborhood that I love. It was like this group of like six-year-olds and they just tear it through the neighborhood, but they always show up in my lawn and just start picking all the fruit in the summer and just like munching off. It was so, so awesome. But it's amazing. Way, like it really makes me, I'm a historian as well. I run another podcast for kids, which I do like cool moments in history. And I was looking into the history of gardens and the lawn issue is so disgusting when you consider that the way it started was in France and it was to show off that you didn't need the land. It was to grow a crop that you didn't need to harvest. You didn't need it for flowers, for pretty. You didn't need it for food. It was just to flex. And then you had a switch of like all the suburbs coming in and this whole going back to the French sort of style of things. And that's where you got this lawn culture of the suburbs, which just throws all of these chemicals into the ground. (laughs) And it's all this extra work. And there's so many politics about lawns and I will not have anyone insane with it, but it's really easy and pretty. To turn your lawn into a wildflower garden. We have a very small 5,000 square foot lot and I have a full working farm on it. I've got chickens, we get our eggs, we get all of our maintenance, our fruit. And it's been so wonderful. If you're disabled, you can just run water lines through everything. So you can even set it to an automated water and then just ask someone to you only need to go out in the garden to do stuff maybe once a week to just sort of check on things. But it's not this like massive lawn care. It's so much less care that you have to give to it. And then you go outside and you've got birds. It's very healing. Yeah. We've got a very small little suburban plot where all the road noise and everything. But it's pretty, it's not hard. You yeah. know, it used to be that we would have victory gardens and there's been pushes for people to have their chickens in their yard because... It's food stability. <laughs> and we know that bringing it back to disability, there's a real issue with getting out to get your ingredients. Even if you can walk, if it's painful to walk to, even if you can to plan out to get into the car or to get to the bus and then to walk through everything, stand in line, get back unload. But yeah. if you have 10 minutes and you can go out and collect your egg, it's a much different That's amazing. To stop from your lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I don't have a lawn. I don't even have a lawn to turn into a farm. You know, well, the city, you, so. like I pay attention to the new tech that's coming through, and it looks like one of the big things that's going to hopefully happen soon is farm refrigeration. Urban farming. Well, a farm oh. refrigeration, like it would be something that would live in your house and it would run on the regenerative farm principles of the farm buildings where you would have almost a Ferris wheel. And yeah, yeah. The pots would go through the different lights, LED lights, <laughs> water it comes back through. And that would all be saying, yeah. just open up your refrigerator and pick your basil. 
That's amazing. I mean, I've seen the Ferris wheel things like these urban farms, which are amazing. It's just a building, like a warehouse building in the middle of the city. And yet it's just the most lush garden. You know, being disabled, you're always looking, and I'm sure you were from chronic pain, you're always looking for ways to minimize movement so that you can not like the the good healthy movement, like a physical therapy, but just not adding to taking away your energy for the day. The new technology that's existing has gotten really interesting in how much that could allow for more autonomy, more choices, more options. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about some of the digital tools because even though you're not in chronic pain anymore, you are doing a lot. You run your own business. Mm -hmm. You have a small little guy running around. (laughs) How are you using digital tools to help stay organized, to shop? Is there anything that you think would help or Anyone, basically what I think about is that universal designs for everyone. And we touched on this when Mm -hmm. we talked about strollers and how hard Mm -hmm. it was on the elevators. So whatever would have worked for my wheelchair would have really helped you with your stroller. Totally. Um, So whatever you're using for digital tools that saves you time and energy, I think it would probably be really helpful for my audience who deals with chronic illness and disability. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If you're not as fortunate as we are, where we have every kind of brand ever is available to us. I really love Thrive Market. It is a subscription service, but it's a B Corp. And so they give back some of their proceeds. Not only are their prices lower than what you can get at like Whole Foods, they give back to families in need and they're all about sustainability. And so not everything on Thrive is healthy per se. They don't have the conventional brands, but it's not like you're like, well, I got it on Thrive, so it must be good quite like that. And so you have to use some discernment, which I feel like through my work and through all of the years, like that's what I've been working on. So when we're talking about like, how do you choose without being orthorexic, without being obsessive, like, no, that has that ingredient and I can't have it and sort of have some breathability within a framework. So for me, the non-negotiables are got to be organic, non-GMO. We are also gluten-free, dairy-free. It's a plus if I can get it to be fair trade. It depends on what it is. But like if it's chocolate, that's something I'm going to be looking for. If it's deodorant, I really like crystal. Coming up every March is the Natural Products Expo. And I go every year and learn about all these new things. And last year I came back with this deodorant, but it's like a magnesium-based deodorant. And it was amazing. My poor, my youngest is 15 and I swear this child gets terrified every time I watch a new documentary because I'm so easily swayed. And the last one was on the beauty industry and how paraben can affect things. Yes. Even if it didn't cause problems for me, that it causes problems for the people who work in the factories was enough to be like, nothing that's powder will come in here that is not definitely talk free. And I don't know how much I believe in a lot of stuff, but I am very curious that my generation of people who biologically have ovaries that are in their 40s, I feel like my generation is so full of people who have these insane chronic illnesses. My chronic illness is genetic. No one else in the family is even close. It's just a looser ligament. And I dislocate by touching things. And all of my friends have had cancer or in and my mom had one or two friends that had cancer. But for me, it's like almost all of my friends, almost all of my friends have like lupus. And it's not just because I'm sick. It's not just because that's my sphere. When I know either has something or knows someone directly. And I didn't feel like that was true for my mom. 
Yeah, you know, using technology for good and not for evil. And with the rise of all of that, you can make a good thing go bad. And mm. there's something with capitalism, the rise of profits above all. Mm. We've dumped so much into the earth, into the soil, in, which gets into the water, which gets into the air. And these persistent organic pollutants that never go away, it's a problem because you're taking in now your future child and your child's child. And this is the study of epigenetics. So then things that we do, it gets passed on genetically. And so you set up your child or your grandchild to be predisposed to chronic illness, to weight gain, to hormone disruption. And this is why it's so important. I keep using the word orthorexic, but it's like you don't want it to put so much fear in people that they feel like they have to live in a bubble because the world is unsafe. I don't want that. But also be educated and to be able to know, okay, I want to support this business because they are acknowledging, hey, the way things were done in the past wasn't the right way. We're going to do it differently. And we're thinking about being good stewards of the earth. And so we want to make sure that we are not contributing to the problem, if not cleaning up the problem. And so anything we buy, anything we eat, it should not be taking away. It should be adding to. Like when a bear eats berries, then they poop out the berry seeds and more berry trees grow or bushes or whatever. That's regenerative. That's, you know, the ecosystem working together. And so when we buy goods, what if they were sustainably made? What if it's not single-use plastic? Plastic is a necessary evil, but also not as much as we have it in our environment, right? Like I wear contact lenses. They're plastic. I'm grateful for that. But I don't need plastic water bottles. There's so many plastic bags. Let's do reusable because all of these things have been, they can almost always be traced to when something was in the marketplace. And depending on your geographic area, there's another movie that will be horrifying to you, but it's a true story. Have you seen Dark Waters? That's about Teflon. Teflon. Mark Ruffalo. He's in it. And it's a true story. And how DuPont still is making Teflon and dumping the chemicals into the water. The cows were getting cancer. The people who drink milk from the cows were getting cancer. And it was in the water. They were just dumping it. And nobody said anything about it. I get political with brands that I buy. And unfortunately, brands like Nestle keep buying up other brands. I was talking with a client yesterday and she's like, well, you know, I had this meal shake. And I was like, well, what is it? She's like, you're not going to like it. And I was like, what is it? And she tells me and it's Garden of Life. And it's not that the ingredients are bad because they're not. It's actually they have really good product. What's bad about it is they sold out. Mm. They were a great company and they sold out to Nestle. And, and so even if the ingredients haven't changed in that product line, it's still ultimately lining the pockets of Nestle who goes into underdeveloped countries and tells women that they cannot feed their babies properly. You need this formula. And so they think that they can't breastfeed their babies. Yes. Sometimes formula is needed. Women need help. Sometimes it's not working. And so thankfully we have healthier versions. I would never recommend a Nestle version. There are formulas that I would recommend and even use myself. But like to teach women, because you know, you had babies 
when you have your a baby, you're vulnerable. Like it's brand new. You're like, oh my God. So not only do you feel, I mean, I thought, I felt like I was hit by a truck. I had a really hard, long birth and I, it took me like three days to just have a working brain and like getting up to go to the bathroom was enough. And so to put chronic pain or some kind of disability on top of that, like it was hard enough to go pee and then it hurts to pee. So it's like the getting to the bathroom and then got having to pee. Like it's a whole thing. So like it all comes back to respect women, empower them and don't tell them you're not good enough. You need this. And so that's one of the many, many nefarious things that Nestle does. They also believe that water shouldn't be free. And so they'll sell you your tap water at a 700% markup. One of the things that I think you're I don't know if you should even call it political because I feel that's almost a misnomer. I don't think anyone, no matter what side of an aisle they're on, wants microplastics in their bloodstream. So I don't understand why this is political. I feel like this is health. You said something earlier that I just, I want to underline it 30 times. I'm very, I've dealt with eating disorders my whole life. And I feel like a lot of us, even if we aren't eating disorder, we definitely have disordered thinking about it. And you said something really beautiful, which was, is it adding? And what an interesting idea to think about when you're eating. Is this adding to your joy? Is this adding mm. to pleasure? Is this adding to making you feel good? Thinking about, is this going to add to my enjoyment of my life? And that's such mm. an interesting way to rethink that from the disorder thinking. Um, I just have one question for you because I always ask everyone. I'm always really curious. Do you have any purchase under $100? It's just like your thing. You are so glad you bought it. For me, it's we just bought a Serta thing for under our, our little sheets that is a bed warmer and you get different sides. So my husband, who does not get as cold as I do, can keep it at zero. I can keep it at 10. Oh, yeah. So happy for chronic pain. For anyone who's even achy, like even if you're not chronic pain, if you're achy, it's so relaxing and I'm not being paid. I just love it. And it was like $90 and it's my best purchase this year. Do you have anything you're like, oh my God, yes. Well, my AccuBall, I always keep it here because I will get my pain. I will sometimes have like these knots and they're just deep. And the only thing that I can ever help is like a needle or my AccuBall. And I will put it like right between my shoulder blades because that's often a place for me. And so I could be in a meeting. I can be working with a client. I can be watching TV on an airplane, whatever. I take this with me. And there's a whole set. If you buy the whole set, it's more than 100. I mean, I've laid down on top of it. It's developed by a Canadian chiropractor. And I met him at that product expo and I did a demo and I was like, yes, yes. Something wrong with me. It's just wonderful. Honestly, like it gets in us. When I had my pain, I was always developing devices to get to it because nobody could. I would take a water bottle. I would take a half drunk water bottle the bottom part of it is hard. So it has to be half drunk because it needs to be flexible enough, pliable enough. And I'd think the hard part, so it'd sort of be like under my hip bone. And then I could like adjust. And that was the only way I could get home because I had a long bus ride and I couldn't survive the ride if I didn't have my water bottle to keep me propped up. And then I had to stop my foot that I couldn't feel. I mean, like, this is what we do when we're suffering. <laughs> trying to make our way. Thank you so much. This has been such a joy. And thank you for letting me experiment on actual conversation with another human being that I didn't marry or give birth to. Thank you for joining us today. 
To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit invisiblenotbroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support the show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are non-advertising and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our host, Monica, and our guest, Allison. This episode was edited by me, Alice Pham. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass. 